Thank you for listening to the Ify Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and the baddest, baddest ass <laughs> PR person in the land, Carla Jo Helms, and co-host of the Ify Market Podcast is here with us. That's me, and I'm lovely too. <laughs> Hello. And today we'll be talking about uh, content marketing and uh, using content marketing to fuel demand generation with Kelly Noblet. Kelly's responsible for the strategy and execution of content marketing for Skillsoft in the North American region. Uh, before taking on content marketing, Kelly spent 10 years managing demand generation programs, and that gave her an understanding of the complex content needs for potential buyers. Uh, Kelly, we are super thrilled to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Sky. Thrilled to be here. So before we uh, jump headlong into uh, content marketing and, and demand generation, let's talk a little bit about yourself. What, uh, you know, what can you tell us? What do you want people to know about you? Well, let's see. Uh, I grew up in uh, the Massachusetts suburbs, and I, I went to college at University of Connecticut and um, kind of became interested in marketing because I always liked to write. Um, I wasn't a super creative writer, like I wasn't sitting around um, writing stories all day, but I learned from a young age that I was good at communicating and um, wanted to try to polish that skill and, and, and transfer it to professional life. So that's kind of what kind of got me in the door with marketing was trying to see how I could use writing and um, turn that into a, earning a living that, you know, wasn't being a, a newspaper publisher or, uh, you know, a a novelist, if you will. Nice. And then um, B2B versus B2C, was there any uh, active uh, decision on what way to go there? Did you just kind of end up on one side? Sort of accidental. You know, um, in graduate school, we definitely learned about um, both approaches. And it just so happens that my first job out of college was a B2B environment. And that's kind of the direction I've been going in since then. I guess it isn't like when you're in high school and thinking, maybe I want to go into marketing You think, hmm, B2B or B2C. <laughs> I guess it doesn't quite get uh, thrown around and people don't make those distinctions until uh, until later in your career. Yeah, definitely. So Skillsoft, can you tell us a little bit about what Skillsoft uh, does and kind of what your role there is? Skillsoft is a leading e-learning company. Um, they make courseware that helps people learn new skills like compliance or uh, new IT skills or how to, you know, achieve leadership skills. And, um, well, what my day-to-day there is I manage the, the content marketing function. So I make sure that we have um, a variety of, of thought leadership-like content, uh, such as white papers, articles, listicles, um, infographics that our demand gen team can use to um, attract new business and also um, to help support our customers and uh, sales teams when they are out there talking to prospective buyers. Can you give just an average day for you? Uh, it's madness, actually. It's writing, <laughs> writing, writing. <laughs> well, and and it, you wouldn't believe, um, you know, the process it is to get something published and, you know, kind of the what it takes to, to get there. So every day is different, which I like because I think if every day were the same, I would be bored. Um, you know, it ranges from making edits to something to um, sitting in a meeting with somebody trying to come up with a strategy for a particular product line. Um, it's 
it's looking at something that we have and trying to figure out a different way to tell that story. It, it's certainly a lot of different things, and it's a lot of collaboration with different members of the company, which I like because uh, I like talking to people and I like meeting new people and hearing different perspectives and whatnot. So that's one thing about the job that's really interesting and exciting. You know, from a higher level, content marketing is on my end is making sure that we have a healthy editorial, that we have a strategy for the year, that we're not just creating things, you know, on a whim. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we are looking at our, our uh, what we want to say for the year and trying to create content that aligns with that. And it's my job to kind of get that conversation started. And it requires a lot of buy-in with a lot of different people within the organization, you know, the executive team. Um, certainly our our leaders that are at the top are very much um, interested in what we're going out there with. So they want to weigh in on that. And then all our subject matter experts that manage product functions have a point of view because they're an expert on their field. So we want to consult them and find out um, what it is that is the hot hot button issue that we should be talking about. So you're not given a, hey, create this content thing, really. You're you're coming up like an outside ad agency or something almost with with the overall plan and the concepts and, and then having to go and sell it to your executives. Yes. Um, and so some of the nitty gritty, like, oh, we're going to have 2.5 infographics on this topic. Don't go to the executive. It's at that level we're talking about um, the theme for the years. So there's strategy and then you work with the other teams to build out the tactical. Yeah. But I, I'm this, the catalyst for the strategy and, you know, people come to me with ideas, but it was my job to kind of get the, the, the process started for how are we going to go to market? You know, I go to meetings yeah. and things and I hear ideas and then I present them and say, Hey, I think we should try to do it this way. And then I get, you know, the, the feedback from, um, the executive leaders and then we, you know, course correct accordingly. And, you know, we do this throughout the year too, because at the beginning of the year, you might think one way and then towards the end of the year, things might change. So we're agile um, and can pivot when when necessary. Constantly adjusting, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But sometimes you have to adjust with the news too, I suppose. If there's something that's relevant to your to your business, you don't want to ignore it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that tends to be more on um, the PR side, for sure. And, and I definitely support that um, function with, with content that, but certainly, like, if there's a big news item that kind of tends to be more on that end, because uh, on, on my end, I'm doing, you know, longer form content, uh, most of the time. And certainly we if, you know, we had a plan for the year and we said, oh, in Q4, we're going to create X, Y, Z. And then the news goes one direction that might influence how we spin a particular topic for sure. So, you know, it's like we always have to kind of have our eyes open and ears open for what's changing in the world. Right, right. Well, since we're get, we're diving into it already, I'd like to dive into like, you know, content generation, demand generation and kind of um, for our um, audiences, and then how do you go about it? Because I think you're already talking about that already. Oh yeah, can you give us an overview of what that is and and what the kind of the connection I guess to kick things off? Well, content fuels demand generation. You can't go out there and try to get people to buy your product if you don't have something of value to offer them. You know, nowadays people are making their decisions about where they want to buy and what they're interested in before they've spoken to someone. So if you don't have um, great thought leadership out there where people can find it, 
then you're missing out because the, you know, your competitor does. And, um, you know, they're out there reading from a competitor's website instead of getting what they need through, through your channel. So that's one thing. Um, you know, what I try to do is I, is I'm aware of what our demand generation team is doing. I'm aware of their budget and, you know, what sort of placements they're going for. And so when I'm thinking about the content strategy, I'm thinking about content that will uh, perform well in um, the channels that that team is using, you know, what the advertising channels that they're using and, you know, the internal campaigns that they might be doing uh, within the, da- the database that we have. So um, basically, you know, they can't go and do an email blast if they don't have something to draw people to. So that's right, where right. I come in. I support that um, so that that team has a healthy um, campaign pipeline um, in place with, with interesting content to offer. But it sounds like what you're starting from is a strategy to create demand. It's not just a content strategy. It's very different. Like it is to create demand. So it's more tied to sales. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm supposed to be hand in glove with the demand generation team. So they mm-hmm. do have their own strategy. They have their own plan. And then I, knowing what that is, that helps me come up with mine. You know, what I, I start at the top, I think about what our corporate themes are going to be for the year. And once those are blessed and decided, then, you know, it's a very much a collaboration with that team about the different angles that we think might perform well on their end. Um, and then we use that to start creating tactical pieces where we actually say, okay, well, we know we're going to talk about um, leadership and we're going to talk about high potential leadership. And this is a particular paper that we're going to create. And this is kind of the date time frame that we're going to have it done so that when they, they plan, they know, you know, what to expect, that sort of thing. Can you give an example um, there within, within Skillsoft of, of that uh, process. I mean, we're kind of working on hypotheticals right now, but to really cement it for people, maybe something particularly. Yeah. Give us a real life scenario. Well, so I'm, I'm sure that other businesses kind of follow this same kind of idea, but you know, say the demand generation team is told they have a budget of, I'm just going to make it up. Say they have a hundred thousand dollars to spend and they know they're going to be spending most of it on advertising placements and you know some of the advertising placements are targeting executives and some of them are targeting managers that sort of thing me with that knowledge it might it might spark me to say okay you know we have this particular white paper that is a topic that would interest both people but what you might want to do is um you know take that white paper instead of having you know two different white papers, which are pretty lengthy and time consuming to create, is taking one that could potentially have broad appeal and then positioning it um, in a way that would appeal to their audience. So, you know, you might present it in a slant that speaks to the executive in an email so that they would open it. You know, it's like empower your team or give your team the tools they need to, you know, have a productive time or whatnot. Versus when you're talking to the manager, it might be make your life make your life easier by making sure that you have the skills needed to do your job. You know, so it depends on who the, who the audience is. So you'll make several versions of the same creative kind of, of the same. uh, same. Well, it depends. So like, it might be that they simply just position it differently when they are doing their writing. So, you know, in their ad, they might position it 
with that person in mind and still offer the same piece of content. You're saying make it for the different publics or target, there's different voices. So this is all part of the the strategy of different pieces of who's it going to and having the same content, but then you have to rewrite it for the different voices. Yeah. And well, what I'm saying is like the, the advertisements or the emails might be written for the different voice and that the paper might be brought right. up that it appeals yeah. to them. If, if it's extreme, it might warrant a slight edit and offering the same paper, but with a, with a slightly different spin for that, for that particular audience or offering a, a derivative piece from that, um, from that piece of content that might be more appealing, maybe a longer form um, for somebody that's of executive level and something more um, short and to the point, like 10 ways you can optimize your blah, blah, blah to the person that's actually doing the work directly. So it just depends on the situation, but that's why the partnership between content and demand generation is important because if content is out there creating in a vacuum and isn't understanding how the demand generation team is trying to work and who they're going after, um, it doesn't work. You know, you have to kind of be on the same page about what what's needed. So that you don't you don't want to miss that handoff between that department, basically. So right. your content really needs to be focused on helping generate leads. Um, I mean, we're talking about demand generation, but it seems like there's a handful of different things content can do. Um, I've got you know branding, thought leadership. It can be informational, which I is probably farther down the pipeline, maybe. Yeah, certainly. Like content has to support all stages of the buying cycle. So, you know, in my case, because I part of my particular role is to work closely with demand gen, there might be cases where a company has a really large content department and they have some people paired with demand gen and some people paired with public relations. It just depends, I guess, on how the organization um, may be structured. And who's the person that coordinates all of those messages? Because that's like can be very separate silos unless you have somebody doing that. Well, Is that you? So on my end, helping establish that common theme and strategy, um, it gets published in a, in a place where the whole entire marketing team can collaborate. Um, so they have access to that. And then people on the on the various teams, the leaders of those teams have access to that framework. And then they adapt the framework according to their discipline. So the person that's the overseas okay. uh, PR at our company knows what the theme is, knows what the hooks are, and uses that when making decisions on behalf of that function. So, you know, we don't, we, we empower people to do their job. Um, we don't tell people, this is how you have to have to say it. You know, we have some positioning guidelines. You let them be creative based off of those positioning guidelines. Yeah. And, you know, um, internally too, we have people that if, you know, a particular owner of a product would have a positioning guide that they would produce. I would not produce that. And they would, um, you know, give people that guideline so that they could go ahead and, um, you know, do what they need to do in their job. So, uh, but everybody's different, you know, that in our case, we try to put the tools out there so that people can work accordingly. So it seems like the first the first stage, we've talked a bit about it, is working with the demand gen team to make sure you're creating the right content. You're creating what's going to help them generate leads, basically. Yeah. And there's a lot of different types of content. I mean, you remember mentioned uh, like a listicle, like the top 10 type of things. Um, there's more content that would be uh, informational. There's, I mean, there's all different types of, uh, you, you 
things that you can create, videos and all kinds of stuff. So if you kind of figure out what you want to create with that and, um, you know, are you going to make uh, infographics, all that kind of stuff, then you need to actually create it. Can we talk about the creation process itself a little bit? Um, you know, what kind of tools you guys use there, how you, how you create these, uh, the content pieces? Yeah, the, the creation process can be madness and highly variable because uh, we're relying on humans and, um, and trying to get uh, people to, you know, respond in a timely manner. But, you know, things happen. People travel, people get sick, people go on vacation. So trying to keep a, a, a disciplined timeline for editorial uh, review is always a challenge. And I'm sure that that's a challenge um, for many companies. Um, internally, uh, one of our tools that we like to use is is um, Smartsheet. That's how we stay organized. And so Smartsheet is our way of um, understanding what's in production and the status. Uh, it's a way for people to make a request um, because I come up with ideas for the year, but other people have lots of great ideas because they're very much um, in the weeds with their own area of expertise. So they might know something I certainly am not attuned to. And they'll come to me and say, we need to have uh, we need to be talking about this because this is very important and it falls under this corporate theme. And so that might be requested through that tool and then um, progress and whatnot can be tracked um, using that tool. Um, we have an intranet where we keep our, our inventory of content. So selective things are on the website. The website is not a repository. You know, we have a web team that manages that and decides you know, how things offers might be structured on the website. But uh, internally, you know, we have an intranet destination with, with SharePoint where we can um, access pieces of content that may not be um, accessible via the website. Right. Finished, in progress, all kinds of stages, that kind of stuff? Well, uh, definitely finished. Um, things that are in progress would be shared with those that are part of the editing process. So, you know, if there's a subject matter expert that is the author of the piece, then the editing would be back and forth with that person, um, you know, would be available to the organization until it was approved and, and designed and ready to go. So, you know, that's just one tool that we use, um, SharePoint and Smartsheet. Um, we don't have, I'm sure bigger organizations might have a content creation tool. You know, we don't have that um, at our company, but I'm sure that bigger organizations might use something like that to um, disperse content and manage the creation portion. Right. So you've, you come up with the concept, you've worked with the, um, with the demand generation team on that. You, you get all the best ideas from all your people. Then the actual creation, you have the copywriting, the graphic design, you know, depending on what type of, of creative it is, you need all that expertise do you typically do that in-house? Do you outsource some of it? Um, can you speak to that? Yeah. So, um, you know, we are hoping to grow, but, you know, for, for the time being, the way we operate is me managing the content and doing the, some of the writing and then also relying on um, external freelancers or contract employees to um, do the writing. So if something's decided and we have an outline and we have buy-in from the, the expert, then we have some uh, people that we can give the work to, to help flesh it out um, and, you know, support the work with research and whatnot. And then it will go back to myself. And I am always looking at 
uh, the piece of content before it then goes back to the team of people um, for review. And so then once everything is approved and ready to go, then um, we move that. I'm, I'm the one that would move it along. So are you the one that looks at it and shreds it up and throws it in the <laughs> air and screams at everybody to do better? <laughs> no, like that. No, and certainly um, when working with outside people, they may not realize something that I know because I was in a meeting or because I just know how we present something. So I'll catch things so that when it goes back to um, the expert internally, that they see it in the best possible shape. So, you know, that's kind of our process. Um, and then what I, what I typically do is I try to get everything blessed and approved before it goes to graphic. Cause that's a best practice. A graphic designer never wants to make multiple, it. multiple changes based off of copy, copy yeah. changes and layout. It happens, but right. like for extensive changes, it's just not an efficient use of time. So, um, you know, it goes to the graphic designer when it is approved and ready to go. And then that person does their beautiful graphical magic and I give it one last once over. And then that person takes care of publishing it um, so that internal individuals can use it. And, and then it can, you know, if it is applicable, it will go on the website and the demand gen team can make use of it. So, so you repurpose it in as many different places and, uh, you know, I guess sizes and shapes as possible and then make available to the team basically. Yeah, you know, it's efficient. If you're spending so much time creating a, a research document, um, you know, white paper or a research report or something of value, maybe you did a study, and you're publishing um, an interesting finding, and it took, you know, months to do the study, and then a couple months to publish the white paper, you don't want to just use it one time and let it go, you want to think about that paper and how you can use it. And I think it influences us, you know, I don't want to spend months of my time creating something that isn't going to get a lot of mileage. So when I'm looking at something, I'm thinking about the potential for derivative work. Could we, you know, make this into a shorter form thing? Could we take this and turn it into an article? Or could we take this and ask the person that was the, the author to um, simplify and, and be a, a blogger on our, on the company blog? You know, it's all those things are in, taken into consideration. And I'm sure I'm sure that's a practice that a lot of companies try to follow because creating content is not free, even though I'm, you know, we might be able to produce things without freelance support and budget. That doesn't mean it's free because there's time, time and talent, you know, when you're using me to do something <laughs> that's still costing money. Yeah. How much content do you actually put out per year, per month? Do you have a amount of words or deliverables or how many white papers or then email messages to back it up? Or how much do you actually generate? That's something that we're working towards. Um, you know, I've been trying to come up with the science for how much we can produce, you know, given the number of, uh, of resources we have available to us. There isn't really a magic number. I would think that it really is um, well, what is it for your company? Do you know now? or I think we're still trying to figure out our best practices. Um, content marketing as, a, as its own function is kind of new at our company. Before, it was sort of adopted by many different individuals, members of the demand gen team, members of product, and it wasn't under a particular owner like it is now. So we're still trying to figure that out. Um, I think you in order to make a determination about what's appropriate for content, you have to think about what are we doing? What are we doing for the year? How are we going to use it? 
how many different programs are we doing? What's the budget? What, what sort of people do you have to create it? Because um, it wouldn't make sense if you had the money just to create content for the sake of creating content if you made 50 white papers for the year. There are 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> so really, it's like, you need one? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of content. When you do a white paper, how much do you actually use it? Like, typically, do you... Um, do you have an email marketing campaign that goes with it? Do you have a blog campaign, a social media campaign, like all of those? Do you come up with its own campaign for a white paper to make sure that you can utilize the most out of it? Um, actually, yeah. So um, from a performance standpoint, we track by the assets so we can see what performs. And so it's mm-hmm. fortunately, it's not my responsibility to come up with all the programs. It's my responsibility to kind of know what people need and then create the, the content for them. But each owner, you know, will make use of a white paper in their own way. You know, certainly our demand gen team would take a white paper and use it multiple times um, over the course of several months um, in their advertising campaigns and also campaigns that might target the database. And if it's a really good piece of content, um, the salespeople would speak to it. And, you know, as they're having conversations with prospective buyers, they might be sharing that piece of content with them. Right. Well, I know good content and good content collateral can be utilized for years. Oh, yeah. Sometimes with just even tweaks, you know, because it does speak to the issues that, uh, you know, industries and, you know, publics are experiencing. You know, what caused the affluence can continue to cause it. Oh, Absolutely. For sure. Kelly, I've got a uh, question for you to think on here. Um, I want to jump to break, but before we do that, um, I want to pose a question for you. You you think it over during the break. Um, What's the basics that people need to come to the table with? So, for example, if you're going to write two blog posts in a year, don't bother. It's a waste of time. If you're going to create a white paper that's the general information doc on your company, well, that one thing is useful. And, and like uh, Carla Joe was just saying, you can use it for a long time as well. So if you could think of kind of the starting from scratch, what are the first things they should focus on to get the bare minimum kind of in, in place and maintained? We'll uh, talk about that after the break. Sounds good. Hey, this is Patrick McFadden, uh, founder at Indispensable Marketing. If you're a professional service provider or a B2B business owner and you're struggling to attract your best clients and also charge a premium for your service, I think you should really check out our website at indispensablemarketing.com. You'll find some great resources there. And if you want to reach out, just click our free consultation button. Hi, we're back from the break. This is Sky Cassidy with the If You Market podcast. I've got Carla Joe Helms. Hi, guys. And Kelly Noblet here with me. We're talking about uh, content marketing to fuel demand generation. Kelly, right before the break, I threw you a question about uh, kind of the the bare bones must have uh, content for people or what they should start out with to get the most bang for their buck. Can you speak to that? Sure, Sky. So I, I think the, the bare bones um, content concept is to think about the stages of the buying cycle, you know, as the, the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel and uh, bottom of the funnel. So if you have a lot of top of the funnel content, um, you know, things that are more broad and thought leadership in nature um, that attract people, and then you have nothing else to give them, 
<laughs> to kind of take them along the, the path, then that's, that's a problem. So thinking about things that support them um, midway in their buying journey. So maybe um, good examples of things that are mid funnel are, are video assets or um, calculator tools or um, comparisons or... Um, Assistant. You said listicles, which is a very interesting term. Not everybody would know that, but like a listicle would be part of that, right? Like a content piece that's just a list of things. It could be, yeah. So it generally, the way I think of a listicle, it's a one or two pager, usually has a snazzy title, something like, you know, five ways you can <laughs> like improve your business by doing X, Y, Z. Like it's a, it's almost like think of a right. BuzzFeed article or something like that. Three things not to do to write your content right. marketing. The five, yeah. Yeah, five things that'll kill you before dinner. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's something, something where you have to be somewhat knowledgeable about a particular topic. Kelly, between, if you're going to have a list, I mean, where would you land in between saying one way to, or saying a hundred ways to like, do you, do you find when creating a list, is there a magic number? Do you just want to do however many things there is in that category? Uh, I think it, you want to keep it manageable. I would say like, you know, 10 or 12 is sort of the maximum, but having three to five, maybe five, the top five things you could do. Um, it's good because what I think people have a short attention span and what they want is actionable advice that can help them solve a problem immediately. So if you, if you limit it to, you know, the top five things you need to do, then that might be appealing to someone that's um, trying to, you know, solve something specific. I remember I, I saw one a while back and I, maybe it worked just because of the bizarre nature of it, but it was something like 78 ways to, and I was like, Se- oh my what? God. How- <laughs> How many things can you possibly come up with? By the way, like I've seen it go all the way up to thirteen. Yeah, Yeah. no. Once you get into the high, you know, maybe like uh, above one hundred, though, I want to open it just to see how did you possibly come up with that many ideas? Yeah, that would be you. (laughs) You can't. I do have a question though. I have a question. For, for our readers, so we've been talking about a high-level stuff and stuff that you're doing. And, you know, I, I'm thinking like they are our listeners, right? So what would be the – like if someone was going to develop a content strategy around something for demand gen, right? You said the different the different funnels of the buying cycle, right? Um, what would be a good – like people always want, well, how many pieces do I need for this cycle? And how many do I need for that cycle? And I know it's different for every company. But what is something that they could do? Like for the first section of the buying cycle, would they need a white paper? Do they need an email campaign to follow up with that? Blogs to go with it? Possibly a newsletter? You know, what are the basic pieces that are like the staples that people need to think about with demand gen? Um, well, I would say if you were a new business and you'd never done anything before and you had very limited budget and limited team, I think you would start with maybe one idea for the quarter. And maybe you have one um, high value piece of thought leadership that is um, you know, a topic that you think will resonate with your audience. Um, and you... I, you know, my interpretation of something that's high top of the funnel is that it's usually broad. It could be a research report. Maybe you've done your own research or maybe you've licensed a research report or you've done a white paper that has a lot of third party research um, to Mm -hmm. to back up claims. And then you'd want to have assets that 
are somewhere in the middle. Maybe you take that and you make a listicle or you do, um, a, you know, some sort of assessment, um, where a person or, or a company could look at where they are and, and, you know, with respect to a particular business problem they're solving and, and try to, um, see where they are, you know, compared to their peers sort of thing. And then um, you want to have things that support the later stages of the buying cycle. If you have somebody that has done a lot of research and has already made up their mind, they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're between you and two other brands or something like that. Yeah. Um, you can't not help them <laughs> close the deal there. That's where you want to have your references, your case studies, ah. um, factual product information, which I don't manage, but um you know, you want to have brochures or, or at least some sort of fact sheet um, or place where someone can go to understand what it is that they would be buying if they were to go, um, you know, partner with your business. So um, those are the bare bones things. So having, you know, one piece of content that you uh, repurpose in many ways in a quarter is certainly the bare bones. Um, well, I like that. So, so let me just see if I'm, I'm getting back with you here. So the first phase is like, you're giving them enough content to help them make the decision. So you have a white paper, you could follow it up with a, a listicle, you could follow up with an assessment, um, this against that, you know, helping them make the decision. But then when you get into the second phase, let's just say, um, and this is all hypothetical phases, but this is someone who, okay, they're between you and two others, right? So they move into that particular funnel. Well, this would be content based off of helping them make the decision between the others, you know, the fact sheet, the brochures of exactly what they would be, be buying, the references, um, case studies, right? Yep. And so, you know, that stage tends to be uh, closely handled with, with sales, you know, when people are that interested, sales are having conversations, they're on site, um, they're sharing that feedback. Um, certainly, you know, telling you the magical way to go to market, that's kind yeah. of, that's a little tough because that is very variable depending on what your business is and what you're trying to achieve, what your goals are, your budget, the amount of people you have to do it, all that. So, you know, saying that you need to have 75 email campaigns in your per quarter, it's something I can't tell you because it, it would really depend on what your goals are and who you are and what you're doing. Um, but you want to, if you know that you have budget to do um, 50 advertisement placements and you have only one piece of content, you might want to consider having other pieces of content to support that. Um, and, you know, certainly it's, it makes a lot of sense to take something and rerun it multiple times because it takes a lot of um, touches before someone really gets yeah attracted Um, even you know somebody is being marketed to via a database it might take seven touches for them to raise their hand and say actually I would like to learn more or I will answer my phone um, when being contacted about this particular product right Kelly Um, that's that's an interesting subject I want to ask you um, where do you come down on the reuse of content or republishing of content, I guess I'd say, I see it on social media. Let's just use it as an example. It can be in email marketing. You can do the same thing. But you've got a piece of content and you post it on Twitter. And I've noticed that a lot of companies, and it seems to make sense to me, will post the same content multiple times per day over time um, because it's it's almost like it's a commercial. There's a feed of information coming at you. It's not like your inbox where you look at each email. You you're not going to scroll through your whole history of Twitter. 
So if they you just put it out once in the day, I guess the concept is then only people who are looking at Twitter at that time are going to see it. Um, so when you have content like that, would you recommend posting it regularly for a while, multiple times a day throughout the week over time? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I am the one that creates the content, but it's really the other people that manage those channels that kind of ultimately make the decision on what that magical number is that they want to put something out mm-hmm. there for. But, you know, I mean, good, I would say good common business sense is that putting something out there and assuming that everybody has seen <laughs> what you put there the first time and that they're super interested is kind of unrealistic. So if you really do want people to, um, you know, to see your message and to interact with you, giving it multiple opportunities to be, uh, to be read is, is definitely the way to go, especially given the amount of time it takes to create something. So certainly, um, I, you know, I, at one point, I don't, I don't know what the recommend recommended tweets number of tweets were for, for a company, say it was six or eight, you know, I don't know what it is today. Um, that's for the social media team on it to, to make the determination, but you know, you'd want to repeat something that's of high value. Right. Um, you're definitely, you're wasting your content creation. If you make a Super Bowl commercial and only show it during the Super <laughs> yeah. Bowl once, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, think of it like that and, and assume that people haven't seen it and you want to make sure you, you you get that message out there, um, you know, maybe a slightly different slant. Well, repurposing um, is huge. You know, oh, right. oh, so yeah. maybe treat whatever budget you have like it's your Super Bowl commercial budget because that is for you. I mean, that's whatever you put out is your Super Bowl commercial, whatever your most expensive. Yeah, I wish I had the Super Bowl is. commercial budget to do the work <laughs> that I'm doing. We do not have that. <laughs> well, I guess my a- point is whatever budget you have, that's your Super Bowl commercial budget. Whatever your biggest pieces you make, that's your Super Bowl commercial. It's not being shown during the Super Bowl, but wherever it's being put, that's kind of how you have to how you have to purpose it. Well, and um, that's why being on the same page with the whole company is really key. You know, everyone being in agreement about how we're talking about the company, how um, the, the what the key messages are for the company, so that when something's created. Um, you know, one team takes it and puts it out there and we're all, you know, it's uh, one brand, one band, you know, we're all kind of saying the same thing and Ooh, look, that's a good you know, bumper sticker. Coordinated. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for coming up with that, but that's, uh, <laughs> you can, but, we'll, we'll put you, I'll quote you on it. <laughs> well, I still have a burning question I, that I didn't get to. So you mentioned something about parts of the buying cycle. So you said one is like, could be help make a decision. The second one is you've got somebody that's actually making a decision between a couple of others. Is there a last bucket or a, or a hypothetical last bucket? Like now you're now they've made a decision. Now you're now what? I I guess mid funnel is still, is they're still conflicted and still trying to determine who to go with. You know, it's like maybe they've narrowed it down to, we think we know what sort of solution we need, but we don't know exactly who we're going to work with. And then stage three is, okay, let's, let's close the deal here. Who are we going to decide on? And so that's where it gets to be more personal. Maybe they're talking to customers, they're making phone calls and, um, you know, doing reference calls to find out what the experience is for another customer that's you know, buying something similar to what they're looking for. Is there an after the creative uh, or after the sale creative where, yeah. you know, here's your customers, keep them happy, creative kind of a thing? Sure there is. Yep. And fortunately that doesn't, 
really fall under me um, that because that's a whole other that's a whole other discipline that could keep someone busy full time. But certainly, yeah, you want to keep your you want to keep customers happy. Um, so I would say on a budget, if you don't if you can't afford to have a person that just focuses on that, it's it's actually a lot easier than it sounds. It's just called a Starbucks gift card. That's how you keep them happy. <laughs> <laughs> you send them that and you're done. Creative done. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Salespeople, that's all they have to do. They don't have to like, you know, but I would say yeah, it becomes a sales responsibility. At bigger organizations, sales would have multiple resources at their disposal to help um, retain happy customers. Right. Keep keep your company front of mind aside from just being bludgeoned by a salesperson. Um, something just kind of a regular give so their brand is out there, I guess. Yeah. And really, I, I mean, depending on the what your company does, uh, the, the way that you go about that would vary depending on what it is oh. you do. I guess if you're a gym and that's not very B2B, but you know, if you have a membership service, you kind of don't want to remind them. You just want to go away and, and hope they never notice they're being billed a month. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, short maybe of that. that's one, yeah, that's one area where <laughs> the content, the ongoing content, you just want to disappear and keep getting that monthly fee. Yeah, they're hooked for the year, so... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to focus real quick onto the demand generation part of it. So we talked a lot about the content, the delivery of the content. You got this, you want to create content, you got the sales team that wants leads. What are the actual mechanisms for taking a piece of content and generating a lead from that, that somebody can do? So they write up a white paper, an infographic, something like that. How do they get lead information to pass to their sales team? Well, I, I mean, I would think most people would have um, a form set up somewhere um, and, and how you track forms and, and manage your campaigns is, I, is, you know, I'm sure unique to each company and how they want to go about um, keeping track. But I mean, so gated content kind of gated content. Yeah. And that's really my focus is making sure that we have really strong gated content because we have a particular demand gen budget and we want to make sure that the demand gen team has um, good pieces of content to use uh, to support their needs for, for the, for the content gate. So, so using a, a form and, you know, potentially marketing automation to get um, names in the database and then um, getting those names um, and notifications to a, to a sales team to do the follow-up calls because, um, Certainly, um, people need to be uh, followed up on in order to get them to, you know, take a meeting or um, do a next step with your company. Right. All right. So that's the, the number one thing for you is gated content forms, drive them through to you actually get the content after giving them a sample or something like that. Yeah. And, and you know, I do have to think about the other types of content that could come out of something higher value. Um, so, you know, somebody on the social team might do, um, an infographic and that would be ungated. And so while it, it can be tough for people on, 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 um, you know, looking at the numbers, it's like, Oh, we're not getting leads for that. But that's part of the, the mix is, you know, giving people things for free so that they, may um, choose to raise their hand and actually take a call or to... You've got to butter them up, basically, with your, with your <laughs> yeah. brand. So, you, so you'd start with some sort of brand recognition give and then then look to get in the front door. So you don't want to send the first thing you send them to be some sort of gated content. Well, it could be, you know, because we consider a lot of our gated content to be top of the funnel. Um, but, you know, it depends on where people are looking. 
you know, I guess if someone's if it's on compelling your compelling enough. Right, exactly. And you know, if if someone is browsing your website and they're mid funnel, you don't know what stage there are when they're looking at your website and they try to, you know, learn something about you and they you know, they can't get simple information without having to give their their form, they might abandon it. So there's always some amount of content on the website that someone can read and get an understanding and then potentially fill out the form for the big thing. Um, you know, when we're going after people in our external campaigns where they, you know, they maybe they get an email and it's, a, you know, a compelling topic to them, then, uh, you know, we do get leads from people filling out the form that, you know, haven't been given something for free. Right. I mean, you might, if it's a product where you're just saying, here's what we have at some point, let us know if you'd like more information. It can be as simple as that almost. Well, I guess it depends on what your goal is and who you are and what you're doing. You'd give them content first, but then the, the call to action maybe to get the lead might just be, hope you had a great read. Here's what we do. Let us know if Really you know, depends like on the company. To set up a demo. It's or a, yeah, it it depend- yeah, exactly. That might be what we would It's do. a little clunky. Um, I know I'm designing a clunky system here. I'm not a content expert, so. <laughs> yeah, so every, I mean, I will say every piece of content we do has a call to action. So we would never finish a white paper and not give people a next step. I love that. Ours does too. I'm glad that you do that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think it's important because you have to control them. You know, um, I really like this because it's really tying to the business plan because sales has everything to do with the business plan and demand for the products and services has everything to do with the business plan. So the content should too. And I really love the fact that you can group these into buckets or funnels or parts of the funnel, right? Um, and, And where the prospect is in the buying process and gear content to them for that. And I think companies could come up with a very simple outline for that and execute it. And then the next year, uh, make it a little more robust. And, you know, they don't always have to. I mean, if it works, it works. But I think this was very helpful. Good. Yeah. I guess I'd say, do you have any um, any kind of quick, if you were to make a listicle of the uh, do's and don'ts <laughs> or something like that, quick things you can throw out to people the uh, pitfalls that you see or kind of little um, little tricks that are really useful to, to make sure you are doing. I know you just mentioned, you know, make sure every piece of content has a call to action. And I'd, I'd like to add on to that. Don't confuse call to action with always be selling or always be closing. Um, it's not put a credit card authorization form uh, as the last page in every piece no, of content. Contact it's, you, read yeah, it this, might be come to the site. This. It's it's yeah. any action. Sometimes people hear call to action. They're like, yeah. And then you tell them where to buy and send them to your sign up form. It's like, no, 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 it can just be come to the site or come see more of this content on this area, that kind of thing. But do you have any do's and don'ts for people? Sure. I mean, I guess number one is don't create content for the sake of creating content. Like, oh, we have to have a thousand widgets and we're going to do a thousand widgets because having more is better. Uh, more is not better. Um, you need to be thoughtful about your strategy, um, thinking about what you need to be doing for the year, what you're trying to say and how you're going to use it. Um, you know, without creating, without keeping that in mind is not going to be a worthy use of time because if you spend months and months and months creating something and then you haven't actually planned for how that might be um, repurposed, um, then, you know, you've wasted time and talent doing something that isn't 
uh, going to get a lot of traction. Um, certainly having a call to action on your content, um, having variety of content, because some people respond better to research while others respond better to um, a visual, like a, an infographic or a video of yeah. sorts. Right. Well, and it's really important to continue to ding in the message. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're doing that in PR, marketing, advertising. I mean, look at Coca-Cola. I mean, they've they've been dinging in the message that Coke <laughs> makes you happy for 100 years, right? <laughs> so, you know, people equate Coke to happiness. So it's, it's the same thing. You have content. Um, someone might do better in a very conservative tone. Someone might do better in a very authoritative tone. Someone might do better with more facts and figures. Uh, you just, I mean, have you ever read a book that the author said something, but then he kept describing it in so many different ways and so many different viewpoints that by the time you got done with it, you couldn't help but agree with yeah, it. Yeah. And, and certainly, yeah, the, you know, keeping in mind that people learn in different ways and people, um, people's uh, role influences how they think. So trying to think about um, your personas and how you would angle something to uh, appeal to a particular buying persona. Um, Cause not everyone's the same. Not everyone is going to think the same. So being mindful of who that audience is when you're creating stuff is, um, is really key. Um, I'd also say that, you know, trying to get your company to be in collaboration and have kind of an integrated approach when it comes to using content. So, you know, trying to be transparent about um, who's using what content when and how they're saying it and being um, constantly sharing ideas so that when someone on one team is using it, they can um, learn from the good work that another team might be doing. And then that makes the brand seem very, um, strategic and um, targeted and, you know, coordinated so that um, when people are making a decision, it, it, you know, presents the company in the best possible light. So I would say that's really key is trying to get everybody on board and, and um, you know, uh, in collaboration. Right, so it's like internal feedback, once you create the content, even find out what people think about it and how they might be adjusted, might be used, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And understanding where it's being used. Um, so because, you know, uh, certainly one example being the PR team knowing where the advertising placements are, um, you know, because that can only intensify a particular campaign, knowing that you're being published, say you're in the New York Times doing advertising and trying to get in um, with editorial as well um, is helpful in knowing what the advertising message was so that when you're talking about editorial opportunities, you can kind of present it in a slightly different stance, but have it be coordinated um, and complementary, you know, is, is really important. Wow. I think Kelly, I have a whole page of notes written down from our conversation here. Now, I don't even know how we're going to make the creative to promote this podcast because there's too many <laughs> things to put on the page. Uh, it just got lists and lists and lists of, orders of things and different things to do and advice. So, so this has been awesome. Um, before we finish up, is there anything in particular you'd like to share that anything we haven't gotten to yet? I, you know, I would say one other good word of advice is, is certainly, um, is testing your content and testing messages. So just because a particular white paper doesn't perform in one in one campaign doesn't mean that that paper is going to be useless. It, it means that maybe the way you tried to present it 
didn't resonate with a particular audience and trying testing out, you know, a different subject or a different headline or a different um, audience, you know, maybe it didn't resonate with one audience, but it would with another. So testing um, and comparing and measuring are all important aspects of content marketing so that you can learn and, um, you know, tweak and, and particularly optimize in the future. So if you create something and it's not a home run right off the bat, don't, don't get bummed. Don't panic. Yeah. Make, <laughs> make some adjustments and, uh, try it out again. Yeah. That's the beauty of digital is that you can quickly make updates to something that's, uh, that's hosted somewhere and, um, you know, or, you know, alter your digital ads, uh, pretty easily. So, um, just because it didn't go perfectly initially doesn't mean that you can't optimize for, for future growth. Yeah. So I just say, don't, um, don't go straight to a Super Bowl commercial. Make sure you got it right before that. But short of that, yeah, <laughs> keep uh, keep experimenting and putting it out there and uh, finding out what works. And I guess that can vary over time all the time. So Yeah. Kelly, it was awesome to have you on. This was really informative. I hope our listeners uh, really take it to heart. I wrote some notes down myself. I'm going to go get with our content generators. There's another yeah. funnel. We need to make another funnel a little more robust. I feel so. like I want to take a picture of my information sheets from these podcasts and, and share it with the podcast to see all the scribbles, everything from arrows to doodles to lists and everything we that we put on here. Um, so, Kelly, it's been fantastic. Everybody listening, if you want to find uh, find Kelly, you can find her on LinkedIn. Uh, just look her up by name, Kelly Noblet. It's K-E-L-L-E-Y-N-O-B-L-E-T. Of course, we'll have your information on the show notes here as well. On uh, behalf of uh, the Ify Market team and, and Carla Joe and Kelly Noblet of uh, Skillsoft, thank you for listening. And If you content market the shit out of it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.